Hey there, and welcome to Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and I am so glad that you joined me today. This podcast is for neurodivergence by a neurodivergent. I'm an ADHD coach with ADHD and ASD, and I am here to help. So let's spend some time together now and maybe learn a few things. Hi, friends, and welcome back to Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and today on the podcast, we're going to talk ADHD and relationships. In this episode, we're going to talk about why relationships are challenging for ADHDers and a couple of tips to kind of help you through. And I'm not talking just romantic relationships. All relationships can be really difficult when you have this neurodevelopmental disorder. Heck, we forget people exist half the time, so how are we supposed to maintain a relationship under those circumstances? We're going to talk about it today. And next week, I have a special guest joining me, my own partner in crime and best friend, because I feel like that will be a very good follow-up to this episode. So let's dive in. So this week, we're going to talk about a few of the reasons why it is so difficult for ADHDers to create and maintain relationships. And one of the first reasons is that society has really high expectations, don't you think? Think about it for a minute. What do you think you're supposed to do in a friendship? Hmm? I bet things that came to mind were things that you've seen in movies or things that you've been told you should do. And where do most of those shoulds come from? Can I get neurotypical society for 500, please, Alex? The society that we are living in is built for neurotypicals. It's built for people who have executive functioning that works when they need it to. Society has really high expectations for the neurodivergent community, for those of us who have a brain that's wired differently. And I just want to take a pause to acknowledge how much that sucks. Heck, half the reason that most ADHDers are perfectionists is because we've spent our entire lives just trying to fit in. In comes the people-pleasing. But being a people-pleaser does not seem to be enough for us to be able to maintain a relationship. Because I can say from personal experience, I was a full-blown people pleaser and still lost many friendships due to my inability to remember that people exist. And being in a toxic relationship with a narcissist who tries to cut you off from all the people that you love, that doesn't really help maintaining friendships either. But that is no longer my circumstance, and friendships are still something I have to put a lot of work into. And even then, I still feel like I'm behind. I still need to stop myself before I go into a shame spiral thinking about how long it's been since I texted this person or that. Yeah, because time blindness, that's a piece of the object permanence we tend to have with individuals, which I guess is a good segue into that category. So first we need to talk about object permanence and how it relates with ADHD. So object permanence itself is our ability to remember that an object exists when it is no longer within our senses. We can't touch it, see it, smell it, hear it, whatever. So in reality, what ADHDers experience is not true object permanence. We still know the thing exists, but it's no longer in the forefront of our mind. We're not babies who, when the object disappears behind mommy's back, oh my God, that, that thing is completely gone now. 
But what we do struggle with is if there is a thing and that thing goes behind a cabinet door, we might still remember that we have that thing. Oh my gosh, where did that spatula go? Where did I put it? But because it is no longer in sight, it's hard for us to remember the other pieces of its existence, mostly where it exists. There are some more extreme forms that really do come close to true object permanence, but again, we don't really have a word for our ADHD experience with it because it is different, but it's a good enough term for now until we find other language to describe the ADHD version of this experience. Then with relationships, there's another term that we should go over, and that's object constancy. Object constancy is the ability to believe that a relationship is stable and intact, despite the presence of setbacks, conflict, or disagreements. And a lot of this has to do with our attachment style from childhood. People who have difficulty with object constancy may have a lot of fear of abandonment. Um, they may be constantly questioning the relationship, especially in periods where things aren't all wonderful and great. And this can be a common experience for ADHDers, especially when the dopamine wears off. The start of a relationship, especially a romantic one, is filled with dopamine. That's for anyone, not just an ADHDer. And when that dopamine wears off, we think there's something wrong with the relationship because it doesn't feel as good. It's not as exciting. And when you're always chasing for the next new and exciting thing, it gets really confusing. But see, the chemicals involved in love our dopamine first, absolutely, for us to connect and build upon that connection. But that's not supposed to last. True relationships, true bonds turn into a relationship that is filled with another chemical. And that's oxytocin. This is our comfort chemical. This is the chemical that's released when a baby is laying on their mother's chest. This is the chemical that dopamine turns to in long-term relationships, that we feel comfortable and safe with that partner. But this challenges our brain. It gets confusing when that dopamine felt so good. And when you're always just looking for that good, good feeling, it's hard to adapt to the nice. So this can cause troubles in relationships too. This is actually a problem I have not really experienced. And that's because uh, one of my special interests as early as high school was the chemicals involved in love. So I have always been someone who is just constantly looking for romantic connection. Since I was a child and I did not have my first real boyfriend until I was in college. No, my boyfriend in first grade did not count, even though we ran around at recess for months just poking each other. Neither did the weekend-long relationship that I thought I had in middle school that turned out to be a boy just asking me out as a joke, and I said yes, and he didn't expect that, and couldn't figure out how to say I wasn't really asking you out until Monday, so that I could cry in front of everyone. But anyway, there is another piece to the object permanence, object constancy struggle within an ADHD experience with relationships. And that is the out of sight, out of mind portion of that object permanence-like experience. If we are not constantly seeing the person, then we kind of forget they exist. And timelineness is definitely a factor here. So realistically, what's occurring for us is more of an executive dysfunction issue. That, that cognitive functioning is not reminding us that, hey, you have not seen so-and-so for three weeks and you have not texted them either. Our working memory and planning and organizing, yeah, that's all wonky. And this is why for so many ADHDers, we're not the ones to make plans. 
And this can get frustrating for other people because they may not understand that I don't not want to make plans. I just don't remember to do that. Or remember you exist. Okay, now we, we know they exist. They're just not at the forefront of our brain. So yes, this is object permanence with relationships. And I just realized that my dog has been snoring. So if you hear any weird noises in the background, that's Missy. I tried to wake her up and she's not having it. So I apologize, but the remainder of this podcast may have some going on. <laughs> anyway, I think my little side tangent before actually served a really helpful purpose within this episode, because I said how I've always been a person who's been interested in finding a partner. And that was really, really strong for me growing up. I was boy crazy since kindergarten. No, seriously, I remember one of my fights with my kindergarten best friend was over a boy who got to hold his hand on the way to the bus. And I don't quite know why I was so boy crazy growing up. This continued well into high school and college. And yeah, I really don't know what the, the history there was. But I do know that ADHDers have a really, really strong desire to connect. Connection is a human desire, but I found that because we see the world so strongly and passionately, that we really have the ability to connect on such a deep level. And that's really special. And I think that might have been where I was coming from, was just feeling that I really needed this connection and not understanding that you can get that same sense of connection through friendship. It doesn't have to be just a romantic partner. Luckily, once I entered adulthood, um, you know, my early 20s, that really wore off. And I am actually in the first relationship that I can truly say every day I make a choice to be here. With past relationships, you know, because of a fear of abandonment or loneliness, I stuck around because I was worried that I wouldn't find anyone else or because I was worried that I wouldn't be able to function on my own. And I am at a place in my self-love journey where I know that I can function without a partner. And I know that I would be fine financially and otherwise if I had to do it all on my own. And for the first time, I'm in a relationship that I just want to be in. I choose him every day. And the connection I have with my partner is so much deeper because of it. Because our relationship is based out of connection and not out of some degree of fear. It's honestly really empowering and it is probably the deepest love that I have ever experienced because of it. And because I know he listens to my podcast. I love you, honey. And I'm excited to have him on the show next week. All right, let's talk about some more struggles for ADHDers and relationships. I think building off of that desire to connect is a good next place to chat about. See, we have that really strong desire to connect, but there's a little thing called RSD. For those of you that don't know, that's rejection sensitive dysphoria. RSD is when we have a perceived or actual rejection that basically becomes a trauma response. It's really what RSD is in a nutshell is CPTSD. We get triggered by an event that seems like something that has happened in the past and an emotional response is set off in our nervous system. And because of this, our brain and body then might start to learn that, oh, well, if I try to make that kind of connection, then it's going to lead to me feeling bad, to me feeling hurt, which can then make us avoidant of those connections. It can isolate us, keep us from spending time with other people. 
to protect ourselves from that possible rejection. And working through RSD is a pretty complex process, but I can say the more you love and trust yourself, the easier it is to love and trust others. The more you learn your worth, the easier it becomes to look more objectively at a situation. So an example I like to use to describe RSD is this. You have a group of friends. You're all in a group text together and someone says, hey, you know what? It's been a while. Let's all start going out to dinner together. Can everybody go out Friday? And because of work schedules, blah, 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 for the majority, most everyone can go out Friday, except for you. Friday's family dinner, but most of the other friends can't go out on a weeknight. Half of them work on weekends. Friday's really the only night that works. But hey, you decide that you want to do family dinner, so you're going to have to say no. Well, they had such a fun time. So next week, they send another text. Hey, let's go out again this Friday. That was awesome. And you say again, hey, guys, sorry, Friday's family dinners. So the following Friday, as you're sitting there at dinner, you see your friends all post a picture together on Instagram. And boom, there goes the pit in your stomach, the sense of rejection. They're all out having fun without me. They must not have wanted me there. Even though you were invited, even though you could have rescheduled family dinner, it still felt like a rejection. And let's say they go out the next Friday and they don't even bother to text you this time. That's going to trigger that RSD too. But if we take a step back and look at it logically, they didn't text you because they know that Friday is family dinner for you. They know that you're not going to be able to go or you're not going to want to go. But with everybody else's work schedule, Friday is the only night that works for them. They've tried to extend the invitation and have since learned from your previous rejections that it's not something you're going to be able to do. So they just don't text because they've learned from the experience. Not because they wanted to exclude you. Not because they didn't want to try and figure out another night. They tried that. But that doesn't make that RSD not still hurt. And it hurts bad. And it's not just people excluding us from invitations that can trigger it. Today, I talked to someone on the phone who I don't normally have phone conversations with. Typically, I would just send a text. But today, I was like, you know what? I'm really trying to push my social limits. Because of my ASD, I have had social difficulty my whole life. And it's something I've been working really hard on over the last year, but especially these past few months. And it's still a struggle. But as a way of challenging myself, I was like, you know what? I could send a text. I know that's my normal, the way that I usually communicate with this person, but I'm going to make a phone call. That was a lot for me. That was a hard choice, but I did it. You might be wondering, okay, so where's the RSD, Amanda? Get to the point. So the RSD almost hit at the end of that conversation because the way that it started was with that person being like, hello? They were confused as to why I was calling them, but I just got to the point. I invited them to the thing that, you know, we were doing this weekend. And our conversation only lasted about five minutes, which a year ago would have been something I would have overanalyzed for weeks. Who am I kidding? It would have lasted months. And every time I saw that person, then I would be thinking about that moment and how they just didn't want to talk to me. They couldn't get off the phone fast enough. But Having done so much work, especially with breaking those patterns of RSD and the, the triggers that pop up all over the place, I chose to not ruminate on the five minutes. And I actually went to the mirror and I said, you are not going to let the RSD kick in. You are not going to let the RSD kick in. You called instead of texting. That's not their normal method of communication. They still talk to you. They still said that they're going to try and come to the thing with you. 
those are really good things. And then I also told myself how proud I was of myself for doing the hard thing. That was nice too. And I'm actually here sitting with a smile on my face because I did do a hard thing. And the harder part was preventing myself from falling into a spiral because I know what that spiral looks like. I know how much it takes out of me to feel that sense of rejection, but I wasn't rejected. Sure, it was a short phone call, but none of it was a rejection. We talked about the thing we needed to talk about and then the call ended. I called for a reason, but that moment would have been a tipping point at a previous time in my life, a time where I started to then isolate myself because, oh, well, they only talked to me on the phone because they felt obligated. They couldn't get off the phone fast enough because they didn't want to talk to me. That's the kind of message that I would send to myself. I would devalue who I am as a person through someone else making other choices. My low confidence has been a big part of why I've lost relationships before. Because I sat in a constant state of worry that they didn't really like me. I was too much. I was a lot. They just tolerated me. I used to be really mean to myself. And that doesn't mean that that voice doesn't still make an appearance every once in a while. But when it does, I usually picture that voice coming from a, a jerky frat guy and tell Chad to shut up. You can't talk to me like that. No one gets to talk to me like that. That's just mean. And when that doesn't work, I picture myself as a kid. What did I need to hear? What would be helpful instead of hurtful? And that really helps me to change my narrative too. So if I can give you one piece of advice for being an ADHD or struggling with relationships, start with you. Rebuild that confidence. Learn who you are and use that to make connections because you are worth connecting with. You have value. And that value is not defined by how productive you are. Find your value again because you are worth it. And if you do need help seeing that value, this is literally my favorite thing to work on in coaching. And I have a whole self-growth unit that I am doing right now that I am absolutely in love with. It also works through some social skills. Honestly, this might be my favorite unit to date. Although I do really love the perfectionism one. <laughs> but I could talk about all of those different things for a very long time. So I'm going to stop here. Thank you again for joining me this week for Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. For any more questions about my coaching or ADHD and relationships, go check out my website, theadhdlady.org. I will be having a webinar on relationships coming up in February, just in time for Valentine's Day. And you'll be able to purchase those tickets on my website real soon. Thanks again, guys. I'm your host, Amanda, signing off. Bye.